Good afternoon. This is Jim Canton. We're here with another Club Insights podcast. Today, delighted to be seated opposite Vincent Georgel O'Reilly. He is the Senior Managing Director and the member of the State Street Global Operating Group. Uh, he's the EMEA head of the Alternatives segment, and this is at State Street Bank. Vincent, good afternoon. Good afternoon, and glad to be here today. Now, Vincent, as we come out of one of the greatest economic challenges in our lifetimes, uh, I want to talk about M&A, because I know this is your speciality. What, what drivers do you see in the market making M&A more likely? Uh, Tim, this is a very interesting question. I think... Um we can break that down in, in really three pieces, right? So I think there is the why, when we look at the market, why we believe MA is going to be a big driver. And then on the other end of the spectrum, why we might be that MA is not going to be a driver at all. And then, you know, who are the players? So that's really like the three parts that I want to cover. So, uh, you know, the, the likelihood of, um, you know, MA is uh, is around innovation. I think that that's one of the key driver that you can see across the industry, not only on the financial market, but, you know, consumer goods, um, you know, uh, aeronautic everywhere. And I think the, um, the need for innovation is there and here to stay. And then you can break that down by a different part, right? Data uh, management, um, you know, AI, we love you. And I think one of the biggest driver on the m side, partly for the financial industry, if you try to narrow down a bit the conversations around, um, you know, how you can speed up the innovation within established firm and how you can make sure that you go to market with new product, how you can make sure that you adapt to the need of the clients and also how you can create new need and new, uh, you know, new products that, that are here to help the clients of our clients. So, you know, the end consumer, the uh, you know, Mr. and Madam Smith, for example. So what you're saying is that uh, established companies are going to be buying in slightly more innovative companies. Actually, they're buying that innovation. Yeah, exactly. I think the the, the technical term, I think, is string of pearls, um, if I remember that properly. And it's really like how you can add on, or Bible strategy is probably more technical, but it's really how you are going to add on capabilities to your existing stack so that you can come up with a more innovative product. Right, and this is because it's often these smaller firms that are, are more disruptive, aren't yeah, they? Yeah, exactly. And, and that's really, uh, I think, uh, uh, a, a key sign of, uh, of our um, economic cycle is the ability of small firms to innovate quicker than large firms. I'm not saying that a larger firm are not here to innovate. I think uh, they are, and, uh, and, uh, and they, they spend a lot of time around that. But I think, um, you know, you see a lot of, small fintech, um, you know, the, the unicorn uh, environment. And uh, and it's pretty impressive what they are managed to do. So uh, it's uh, very a good sign of, of innovation when you can bring small firm, um, you know, together to, you know, to, to, to create a, a new product. I think it's really product driven. That's the key. Now, here at Luxembourg financial sector, yeah. um, once again, if we apply this logic coming out of lockdown, do you think we might we we may see M and A activity in the financial sector? Yeah, the um, so Luxembourg is quite impressive when it comes to their um, you know fintech environment or even the tech environment in general. I think the government and uh, and the marketplace is is doing a very good job. Um, you know, going from established players like large banks trying to have a fintech lab to uh, you know the the accounting firms doing the same, and and then obviously. 
the government supporting uh, small innovative startups. So I think you would continue to see that. Um, and uh, <coughs> whether or not there will be consolidation, ad hoc consolidation, I'm, I'm pretty sure it will be the case. Uh, <coughs> but when it comes to established player, I think it's, it's too early to tell. Now, State Street, huge bank. What is your involvement in M&A? So as a, as a firm, we are not an advisor. So our job is not to, to provide uh, investment banking services to our clients. What we do do is uh, really providing a strategic um, you know, partnership um, to, our, to our clients. So our key focus is obviously asset management, alternative um, such as private market clients, uh, asset owner. But I think I want to focus really on private market uh, players and, and asset manager today. And um, if, you, if you look at why they will call us, um, the, the key thing is how we can help them to uh, you know, navigate the, the integration part of the of the of the MNA piece, right? So it's really important. You have obviously the, the cultural aspect, and that's really an internal things that the firms, uh, you know, the acquirer and the acquirer needs to do. But then you have everything to do around infrastructure, front office rationalization to avoid have, to have too many system, middle office was extremely key and extremely complex to manage. How you can help um, you know the new group to um, to to uh, to launch a new middle office platform to allow them to better manage their risk, liquidity management, uh, recon, communication to their clients, and so on. And then you have, you know, the back office piece, um, um, NAV calculation, uh, depository services, and so on, which is really probably more cost-driven uh, operation, but re really the middle office and the front office are extremely strategic. And normally the first call that we receive in this, in this situation is either through the COO, so the chief operating officer or even sometimes the CEO. And it's normally followed by, you know, the chief investment officer, so the front office piece, who is also really keen to understand how they, we can help them to rationalize their front office systems, uh, noting that there is not one fit for all uh, in terms of system, but if you can avoid to have the same system operating in different instances everywhere in your, um, in your stack, that's, that's where much better outcome. Now... Do you think it's possible that we're facing a marketplace that many companies will want to make acquisitions, but there's just not enough quality companies to buy? And, and what could the consequence be of that? So, Tim, that's, that's called a bubble, uh, I think. Uh, but the, uh, the reality is that you will see a lot of ad hoc. You know, I would say the, the ad hoc acquisition is, is going to stay. And you, you can see that everywhere. Um, I think there is not a day where you, you, you will look at, you know, um, Pepper Jam or um, or the, you know, Financial Time or any of economic uh, um, newspaper referencing a tactical acquisition from an established player, right? And it can be on the data management side, it can be in cloud capabilities, it can be in analytic, it can be in uh, in payment uh, for, uh, let's say, more traditional mainstream players. But you will see that all the time, and you will continue to see that. Um, the uh, the quality, obviously, of the the targets or the is is always a, a key question, right? And I think it's uh, you need to have the discipline when you look at it. Is what problem I'm solving here? Do I create a category killer, which basically I'm going to be the best in class in what I do? Do I breach a gap that I have in my product set? So basically. I do accelerate innovation uh, within my own firm to create a product to where I'm lagging a little bit, or do I, you know, create a new 
arm or a new division within my 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 company to address you know some market problematic or to you know to adapt um, to uh, to market change. So I think if you answer one of these questions right, I think you are going to the right direction. If you are not answering one of these questions, then you are probably making a mistake. Now. If you ask uh, the typical man on the street here in Luxembourg about State Street, they've seen your huge building up in Luxembourg. And, and I've been in Luxembourg 20 years, and I know that you've grown uh, a lot. Um, from your perspective, because I know you think about M&A internally also, what, what are the key criteria that you look for when you're mm. identifying a good target? So I think I can talk about you know my experience and what we have done in the past. So... Um, I think you can really break that down in, in two categories. So the first category is what I would say when we can create a category killer in terms of product. So, you know, going back from the acquisition of Bestex, for example, or Charles River, it's really a need to create and innovate. And that's really in the DNA of the firm. Uh, we have done that through, you know, our entire story. Uh, just you know, to give you an example, in uh, in the 70s with the with the mutual fund um, invention or uh, the ETF, uh, also that that is something that uh, State Street uh, did create uh, in the 80s. So it's really something that you created uh, ETFs. Yeah, I yeah, didn't know that. Did. Yeah, we wow. did. Um, and I think you're you're huge ETF players, obviously. Yeah, now, we, aren't we you? are. Yeah, exactly, we are. Um, and um, and if. Um, you know, th that's a way to look at acquisition, right? How can I create a product that is going to address market needs or where I can be a leader? And I think that's really what defines, you know, our mindset when we look at, you know, an acquisition, an acquisition that is uh, going more on the product side. So it's really like the product in the, in the art of, of our thinking, making sure that our clients of our clients are better served as, as the outcome, okay? So that's really key. Then you will have more, I would say, regional footprint do you have a, a white spot as we call it right do you is there's a jurisdiction where you're not not around a key jurisdiction that is growing but where your presence will never allow you to be a top player and uh, and i think that's really the, the the other way to look at it so you have this kind of consolidation at play and uh, and it's normally just again really thinking about our clients and the clients of our clients how we can better serve them right just to give you an example if we're in a um, in, uh, in, in South America, where, you know, we have a big push at the moment, um, we are relatively um, small, given our, our, our global footprint. And, and that's definitely an area where we want to be, because there's, there's a lot of interesting and exciting things happening over there. And we want to make sure that, you know, we, we are positioned to serve our global clients from, you know, regional, you know, regional um, base. Absolutely. And you know what? We should have a, a different conversation about emerging markets because it's certainly one of our favorite topics also. Um, and I know that you personally, you have a very uh, international background. You've worked in Germany. You've worked in the uh, United Kingdom. When you compare your experiences, would you say, is Luxembourg a good place to do business? Yeah, definitely. Um, I've been here for um, 18 months, obviously. Um, there was a bit of a COVID thing going on at the main Slightly. time. So it was a a slight impenitent to the uh, to the integration, but what I would say is uh, it's a very diverse um, uh, market, and um, it's really interesting to uh, to work over the, uh, here. Um, and uh, I think it's a very good combination of 
sophisticated capabilities and very diverse culture, which I think it's extremely important to uh, to flourish. Um, and uh, you know, as a side, I, I will you know really uh, give an advice to to everybody is that you know travel, make sure that uh, that you go a bit out of your um, your comfort zone in, in in that that front. And I think Luxembourg for that is great. Um, and uh, in the meantime, you have all the right capabilities in a, in in a relatively very com you know easy place to travel, right? Um, so I, I think it's a, it's it's a very good place to uh, to uh, to do business. Now we live in changing times. Uh, we've had to work through Brexit. We've had to come out of uh, the lockdown. Um, in terms of sort of uh, timeline. Do you think that many firms are waiting to conduct M&A activity until they're more certain of what the world will look like? So I think, Tim, what you don't see here is, um, you know, when, when, uh, when an acquisition is announced, uh, whether in the press or, um, or, uh, or in, in um, you know, via different segment, um, it's really the tip of the iceberg. I can certify you that every player in the market at the moment is probably looking at one way or the other on the acquisition side. And I think, um, you know, th within the next few days, you will see uh, banks releasing their uh, quarterly results. And you will see that, uh, you know, while, you, you know, probably market activity is, is, is a bit soft, M&A um, activity will, will be probably very strong. So um, I think you have a lot of... Um, Players, you know, being strategic players, being the private equity uh, players, uh, everybody is trying to uh, to uh, to make sure that they are they are ready uh, for the next next wave. So I, I'm I'm definitely certain that uh, uh, it there's a lot of activity going on at the moment. Now, obviously, in order to enable that activity, we need lots of liquidity in the market. Is the right kind of liquidity there for players? To, I mean, if I called a private equity firm with a good idea. Do you think they're open to those sort of pitches? <laughs> um, well, I mean, they are very smart people normally. So, um, and uh, so I will say that they, they are, I'm sure you, you, you know, given your place, um, I'm sure you, you will have the right network. But uh, the, the, the private equity uh, firm at the moment are, are really looking to, uh, to deploy their, their capital. They have been extremely successful so far in the cycle in terms of capital raise and, 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 and acquisition. And uh, they will continue to do so, right? And um, the, uh, they are definitely very, very active in, uh, in, the, in that scape. Um, and they are, they are competing with traditional established player as well, which is uh, very interesting. And, um, and they will continue to do so. Um, it's, uh, it, they, they are get, getting, you know, influx of money from, you know, insurance pension fund as well, uh, which is, not new, but it's it's definitely a trend that is getting stronger and stronger. So um, definitely, uh, uh, you should give them a call. They, they are definitely busy and looking to deploy capital. <laughs> um, I'd like to go back to your comment about fintech. Yeah. Um, some people would say, although Luxembourg has some activity as a financial center, we are too small, um, and therefore an individual fintech is never going to be able to win enough clients to really grow and therefore become mm. a potential unicorn of the future. Um, what role do you see Luxembourg playing in that yeah. context? So, Tim, I think I would go back to my comment of um, travel, connect. Um, 
I think Luxembourg as a place to innovate is, is, a, is, is a fantastic place. Um, and particularly with Brexit, the, um, where, you know, you can argue that a few years ago, London was really the place to be, right? I mean, uh, uh, the, um, every, ev everybody wants to, to have an exporter to, or was keen to have an, an exporter to, uh, to London and, um, and, and the financial market um, in, in, uh, in, in, in the UK in general. Overall, I think there is a bit of a shift. Uh, I'm not saying that it's a drastic shift, far from that, but it's a shift. And uh, and now it's going to be spread across Europe, right? I mean, uh, Paris will uh, will claim uh, a role into that. Amsterdam, obviously, uh, Frankfurt, even Berlin. Um, I was in Munich where the, 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 the technology uh, footprint is extremely important. So Luxembourg is definitely a place to, uh, to, um, to, uh, to play here and um, and I think it's it's the connectivity across the regional marketplace that's going to make the difference. How, as uh, a region, you know, a local player in Luxembourg, can I make sure that I connect with, you know, Frankfurt, Amsterdam, and Paris? That's going to be the the key uh, differentiator. And I think if you stay local, then it's going to be a struggle. But if you manage to connect with the uh, with other location, it can be a you know a category killer, as I like to call it. Uh, I'd like to go back to one of your other words that you said, innovation. Yep. Um, State Street. In, in what sort of ways is, is State Street innovating? It's you know, part of our DNA team. Um, th this is what we do. Um, I think the, uh, you know, to, just to give you a few things, I mean, that was the, the, uh, the, the creation of uh, the, the outsourcing of the, mut uh, the, the, mutual, um, uh, the mutual funds, the creation of the ETF. And, um, you know, Three years ago, with the acquisition of Charles River, we created um, this notion of front-to-back. And uh, if you look at before the acquisition and after, uh, we did create terminology here um, and an idea, concept around you know front-to-back, how you move from the front office um, uh, operating system, you know, down to the to the back office, the settlement, and so on. And that that's really innovative, and um, it's. Um, it's it's working in progress. We're making very good effort. Uh, we're announcing, you know, key clients coming to the platform, um, and the innovation is really like making sure that you have an operating system that allow you to connect different apps. To give you an analogy, so to make sure that you get best in class in terms of, you know, if a client wants a risk system uh, that we do not provide, we make sure that you know it is linked to the platform so that the clients can have their own system within the platform. So it's not, you know, a, a closed platform. It's really open. And, and I think that's the key. And I think we're definitely leading on, on that front. It's, it's art. Um, innovation is, is very difficult. Innovation is uh, unsettling. Uh, but that's, that's the direction that we're taking. I mean, there's a huge human element to that because with each new disruptive change inside a bank, you either have to train a significant exactly. part of your stuff or you have to change your stuff. How do you manage the human element? So the human capital element is key. Uh, I think uh, as, as a bank or as a company, a, you, um, I think it's one of the key um, elements that make you a successful company is how you, you treat your staff, how you, um, how you make sure that they are part of your culture. Um, because culture is, you know, before innovation team, I would say that culture is the key thing. If you don't have a culture of innovation, if you don't have a culture of togethership, if you don't have a culture of bringing people together, you're done. 
it's not going to work. Um, and uh, and in our case, the way we're we're looking at it is that we 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 really try to to focus on on problematic at hand and to um, to you know to make sure that people understand the why and how we're going to get there. And uh, it takes time, right? And uh, I think I'm not I'm not uh, really in my comfort zone talking about that, but I think it takes two or three percent of your population to really trigger the change, right? Uh, and and that's what you, you you start to see. So the the starting of the innovation is is difficult, but then you know it's 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 fulfilling uh, itself. Um, it's a bit like climate change, right? I mean, uh, to take just a sideway on that, um, which I think it's it's a key element as well. Is you know a few few years ago, nobody was really taking care of or paying attention to uh, to all this problematic, and you can feel that there is really this willingness uh, of you know, every actors to play a, a, a more important role, you know, being ESG uh, on the investment side uh, or on the servicing side, uh, being at, uh, you know, at uh, the, the population level or investor level where, you know, people are willing to deploy their own capital in, um, in key areas that are, you know, focused on, you know, green energy, renewable energy, fair trade, uh, and so on. So I think... Uh, you, innovation is also um, making sure that you understand the why. Why why are you doing that? It's not just you know, I want to create AI to settle a phone. No, you are doing that because you want to make sure that you provide a better outcome for your clients and the client of your clients and the client of your clients. It's you. It's everybody, right? So, final question for today: We're seated here in the offices of Paper Jam and Delano. If um, if they were to write a headline about the bank tomorrow what headline would you like them to write about um about state street you yeah, mean or example, uh, yeah. yeah um they did it again in terms of innovation i would say that's uh that's uh, that that that's probably uh, uh the key thing uh for me it's uh, because it was the term of 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 innovation yes that was Vincent Georgel O'Reilly, Senior Managing Director from State Street Bank here in Luxembourg. We look forward to your company again at the very next Club Insights podcast. Thank you very much. Thank you for joining us at today's Club Insights podcast. If you like this, you can tune into future podcasts wherever you find them at Spotify, Apple Music, or also at paperjam.lu. And if you'd like to join the Paper Jam and Delano Business Club, simply send an email to club at paperjam.lu.